0: I want actually today to introduce you to God's strategy for world mission in the New Testament. And it's not what you might immediately think. Um, We think that the New Testament strategy is all about sending apostles or other gospel workers out as pioneers into the unknown. In the absence of apostles, well, we'll send Amy uh, uh, instead. And, and, and that was a major factor um, for the spread of the gospel in the first century. But I actually want to show you this morning another aspect of God's strategy for worldwide evangelisation, worldwide mission, that is really, really important. The, the vast majority of world missions, in fact, in the first century was not done by, by pioneers who went into uh, 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 countries and places that they uh, didn't know. It was done by local churches. Now, of course, it's obvious, local churches did an enormous amount of the local mission in their, in their area. So, um, the apostles and those after them planted local churches that then reached out into into their local areas. But what I want to show you this morning is that local churches didn't just work locally. Actually, in the first century, local churches, or especially the churches in substantial cities, which is most of the ones that we meet in the New Testament, they themselves had a global reach. And uh, what we are going to see about the first century, amazingly, though it hasn't been true in every age, is true again in the 21st century. So this is really important. The early church was, uh, uh, churches, local churches were also global Churches. Now, that's um, obvious when we start to look at this uh, set of greetings to the, the churches in Rome that Paul um, sets out here in Romans 16. The thing that I want you to realise is that Paul has never been to Rome. And yet he knows personally at least 26 people whom he greets personally in, this, uh, in these final greetings. How did he get to know them? He must have met them elsewhere. And then they, in turn, travelled to, to uh, Rome. Indeed, when you look at it, these people seem to have come from all over the eastern Mediterranean, where the Apostle Paul had travelled. In verse 1, for instance, there is Phoebe um, from uh, uh, Cancrea, a port next to uh, the, the big city of Corinth in modern Greece. Priscilla and Aquila get uh, mentioned in verse uh, uh, 3. They were incredibly widely travelled. Aquila at least was born in Pontus, in, uh, um, in, the, in the northern part of what is now Turkey, but, they tra- the, but the, in Rome they seem to have been converted. They came there at some, some point. They met Paul first in Corinth. They travelled with Paul to um, Another city, Ephesus, in the ancient province of Asia, which is southern Turkey. And now we meet them back in Rome again. These people have travelled all over the uh, eastern Mediterranean. And, um, uh, and on it goes when you, when you look a little bit closer. Um, uh, it wasn't just actually the, the super-rich who travelled, because Priscilla and Aquila were, were wealthy merchants, no, uh, there's an ordinary man, verse 5, Eponetus, who gets a, 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 a mention, uh, who Paul knows, uh, who was converted in Asia. That's probably in the, in the city of, of Ephesus. Slaves, too, in the first century, moved around with their masters. In verse 10, we read, those of the household of Aristobulus are to be greeted. Well, Aristobulus was a, was a grandson, actually, of Herod the Great, who appears in the, in the Bible. So uh, these slaves had probably initially been in Palestine. Perhaps that's where they got converted. But Aristobulus moved to Rome, and so the slaves did as well. Uh, verse thirteen has this man Rufus. He's a very interesting character. Quite possibly, he's the son of Simon of Cyrene. Do you remember Simon of Cyrene, who met Jesus and carried his uh, uh, his cross? Was made to carry his cross? Well, uh, um, uh, Rufus is probably his son, and so born in North Africa, actually, in modern Tripoli. But in the time of Jesus, in Jerusalem, or at least at uh, at, at, uh, Passover at that time, and now here he is in Rome. These these people are moving all over the place. Uh, How are the churches then, in Rome, going to be involved in world mission? Well, Paul absolutely is hoping that they will send out financially supported, devoted gospel workers. In fact, he says elsewhere in the letter that he hopes they'll send him on his way to Spain and support him financially. That absolutely is a a vital element of God's strategy in, uh, in the New Testament but actually those churches naturally already have links all over the globe Rufus and his mum maybe they will return to uh, Libya Phoebe will certainly return to, to Corinth, who knows where Priscilla and Aquila will go next, they've been everywhere and um, of course these Christians in Rome will rub shoulders with a far wider group uh, than that. Rome was a genuinely cosmopolitan city. Indeed, the first Christians were even rubbing shoulders with people from the far north of that barbarous region, Gaul, uh, tribe that they called the Britons. And there's every chance that actually the gospel got to this country within a few decades of the death of Jesus. And it was certainly here by the second century. Not because there were superheroes, but because ordinary people just travelled. Let me, let me give you an, an example, for instance. Um, just down the road, in Winchester, um, uh, clever archaeologists these days have discovered techniques whereby they can uh, identify the birthplace of people from their, their, their skull remains. And so they've looked at uh, burial places in, uh, win- in Roman Winchester. And they have discovered that in Roman Winchester, 25% of the people were born outside of the UK. And not just from one place, from Eastern Europe, from France, from Italy, from North Africa, they were from everywhere in Winchester. The, um, uh, that global mixing of peoples actually slowly dried up over the next uh, 400 years and then for a long, long period missionary work was overwhelmingly uh, right up to the 19th century was people uh, uh, bravely adventuring into completely unknown Areas. But actually in the second half of the 20th century, we have started to get back to what it was closer to what it was like in the first century. In my, my lifetime, we've seen the rise of global cities. London is at the forefront of that. It's got about the same proportion of foreign-born people at last, after 1,500 years or more, as first century Winchester had. And, and Oxford is not far behind. of people in Oxford were born in another country. That affects how you think about our mission to the world. Imagine, for instance, you could send your children to to a school so vibrantly diverse that... uh, um, the, the children in that, that, that school from one family can sit down and can name at least um, people from at least five countries on every continent whom they know personally. That's our kids at Cheney School. It was actually in a conversation with some cousins who were in an international school, who were proud of their international connections until they realized what our children had rubbed shoulders with. Or uh, imagine this, imagine a political activist in Africa who gets himself into trouble with the authorities as they do and he ends up as an asylum seeker on the, uh, the streets of, uh, uh, of Oxford. Um, stumbles into a church, he's encouraged by that church. Um, uh, a little while later, actually, his little girl... Um, Charms an American man who is visiting his daughter who's a student next, ne- next door and uh, they strike up quite a relationship the American man um, takes really quite an interest in the political situation of that African country as a result the American man was called Bill Bill Clinton and it happened to a family in this church And uh, then, then, then there's Amy Ski. Amy Ski doing her thing um, with marginalised youngsters in uh, Oxford and starting to get to know and love some uh, teenagers. Starts praying about where the Lord might uh, send her to serve overseas. And surprise, surprise, God sends her not a totally strange people they're people that Amy already knows and loves some of us go either supported by the church or just in the process of life following the lines of connection that there are in our 21st century world and some of us stay Some of us stay to be actively involved in world mission. We have have more than a dozen people in in this church who are involved in global Christian initiatives, people involved in in Muslim Christian dialogue, in the world Christian uh, student movement, producing radio programs for Francophone Africa, supporting gospel workers in multiple countries in all sorts of different ways. The, the, The numbers of connections that people have with, with, with the world in that way is, is, is extraordinary but actually some of us just stay and are involved in world mission as we talk to our neighbour as we chat to the person in the queue at Tesco's as we make friends with an international student and as we bring them along to a little local church In the first century, you see, churches in the cities were global churches. They were just global communities. And in the 21st century, churches in a place like this just cannot help but be global. And I I want to say both that I'm uh, delighted and excited that Amy is going. Um, to uh, serve elsewhere. I'm not excited that you're going. You? You're going to serve else, uh, elsewhere. I'm delighted about that, but I want to say to other people stay. Not because not everyone can be involved in world mission, but the opposite. That, that actually this church feels like a river sometimes, you know, even a torrent that you're in danger of drowning in with new people coming in. At uh, at one end, and because they leave Oxford and go elsewhere, of of uh, of moving on, it's very very exciting because the the things that those people go on to do and the places they go on to influence is absolutely amazing. But we do need some stability. We do need people who will say, "This is such a great place to be. I'm going to make principal decisions to stay." and be involved in being a quality local church. That's at the heart of of, of, of what we call our our bold gospel plan that we'll be discussing as well on, um, uh, on Tuesday. To be a church in this area that can make a strategic difference locally and globally. We are called to be, and in the 21st century, able to be a global church. Grasp the significance of that. And therefore, just as in the church in Rome, we need to be a quality church. Um, The Paul in his letters outlines a number of aspects of the, of the quality that he is looking for in, in the church. One which is particularly obvious that we need to uh, uh, take seriously is he is looking for these churches in Rome to have quality understanding. The, the, the main meat of this letter to the, to the churches in Rome is 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 detailed explanation of the Gospel. And remember, he's not writing to a theology faculty, he's writing to ordinary believers, ordinary Christians, rich, poor, educated and uneducated. He says that at the beginning of his letter. But he, he doesn't talk down to them. He doesn't say, therefore I can only teach them in simplistic platitudes. He writes uh, material that, uh, uh, that, that really stretch us. Romans um, uh, is, is, a, is a great explanation of that the, the, the gospel of God. Romans 1 to 4 explains that we are made right with God simply and solely through faith in Christ and his death on the cross. That liberates us from the guilt and bondage of sin and the bondage of self-righteousness and puts us in the same, tr- same, same place as every other person from every tribe and nation. No nation is more privileged. No nation is less privileged. We all need Faith in Christ. Romans 5 to to 8, Paul explains that being right with God uh, inevitably leads to a transformation in us by the power of the Spirit so that we can live a new life now. Um, And we can look forward to eternal resurrection life. Romans 9 to 11, Paul explains that God is not fickle, but he is absolutely faithful to his promises. And what he says that he will do at the beginning, he will carry on to the end. And crucially what he will do is he will bring people from every tribe and nation under heaven together as one people From all the nations, Romans twelve to fifteen explains that those who have absorbed these great truths must—it is the only logical thing to do, the only reasonable thing to do—they must offer them whole their whole self to God as living sacrifices. They're, they're, all their work, as Dan has been saying, will be for the Lord. Their money is to be used as the Lord wants it to be used, given away generously uh, uh, in, in part. They will be a people of, of, of sacrificial love, a people who serve in the world as citizens, a people who are reaching out to the nations of the world. This is, this is what it means to be a believer. We're unashamed here, therefore, in actually making demands on people in terms of their understanding of the Bible. If if what I've just said to you was foreign to you or new to you or you only think you've got a hazy grasp of it, then talk to me, talk to Dan. We want to help people to understand the Bible deeply because understanding the Bible liberates individuals and creates quality churches. And quality churches reach the world. He wants a, a quality church then. Quality in terms of their understanding. Quality in terms of their relationships as well. That becomes very obvious in Romans um, 16. Um, verse 8, for instance, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Verse 19, there is my dear friend Stachys. Uh, sorry, verse 9. Verse 12, um, greet my friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Verse 13, Greek Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me. They are my dear friends, my friend and then uh, uh, Rufus's mother has been a mother to him. There is, there is a, a quality about the relationships that Paul enjoys with this, this wide range of people male, female, rich, poor, old, young. They are dear to him and he to them. Notice particularly the intergenerational element. Rupus's mother has been a mother to Paul. That's a particularly uh, uh, an issue for us in Oxford. We have there's a sea of young people in East Oxford. Those of us who are older, and by older I mean thirty or more. We need to learn to be older brothers and sisters. Parents. For, 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 for younger people. Yeah, em, em, Emily's in Exeter University. Has started at Exeter University, our eldest. Um, uh, she's chosen her church, I'm sure because it's got good Bible teaching and, the, and those sorts of things, but actually, significantly, because there's an absolutely lovely family who gives them lunch every Sunday. That's not an incidental. That is intrinsic to the a quality life in the church. Greek Rufus' mother. She's been a mother to me too. And then uh, quality of their commitment. Commitment to serving Paul Paul, um, alludes to people's determined commitment um, to serve in in all sorts of ways. Look at Phoebe, for instance, as you see in verse... Um, uh, verse 1 she's clearly a busy woman she's probably a wealthy trader She she's travelling to Rome almost certainly for business reasons not just to carry the, the letter to, uh, to the Romans but notice she serves as a deacon of the church and, and it's a little church as well actually it's not the main one in Corinth it's down the road in the, in the little port yeah. she is not above Humble service in that local church. In our previous church in in Cambridge we had an elder who was a Euro MP. I well remember him ringing the church office from Russia once. He asked whether there was an elders meeting on Friday because it was the only day that the Russian Minister of Internal Affairs could see him but if there was an elders meeting he would not see him. We had a a finance director of a FTSE 100 listed company who would not have board meetings on Thursday because it was his home group night. Or I can tell you about a university professor who would drive around the local housing estate every uh, week for all I know he's still doing it collecting a gaggle of rough boys to come to the church uh, youth group. Or actually the world-renowned Christian leader who when he was in town for any period, the first thing he would do would be to sign up on the church cleaning rotor. And Paul honours people like that. People like Phoebe, who have a steely determination, despite a busy life, and despite potentially being able to claim that they were just too busy to do such things, a steely determination to humbly serve in a local church and to bless others. Not, not just the people from the upper echelons of society as well. Uh, Mary, verse 6, who's worked very hard for you, there is. Or verse 12, Greek, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the law. They're ordinary women. And he honours them equally. You know, such people put to shame those of us who consider we're just too busy to serve or uh, our minor ailments or our false humility just um, uh, stop us serving. Paul honours people who labour within the church as well as, of course, labouring in the whole of their life for the Lord as Dan has been saying on previous weeks. And work hard through thick and thin. Do you see verse 10? Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. We don't know what trial Apelles had. But he remained faithful to Christ. Some amongst these people Paul talks to are especially devoted to gospel work. Paul seems to reserve the title co-workers for those whose primary focus is spreading the gospel, as as with Timothy, who he mentions in verse 21. Priscilla and Aquila, interestingly, are in that category, though they don't need financial support and they continue to conduct their business, but they seem to have started to take decisions about where they lived On the basis of gospel priorities, they travelled with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus to support the church there. And here they are back in Rome, potentially because that church they judged could do with a bit more support. They could go anywhere as global traders, so they chose where they lived for gospel reasons. Maybe there's someone like that here. However, these people lived their lives, though, every one of them was offering their whole life, their whole body, as living sacrifices. I want to say to you, Amy, actually, you've been a great example to us in that, though I'm sure you will be embarrassed for me to, uh, to say that. Not, not only in being willing to go elsewhere, wherever God takes you for the Lord that, that has been a great example to us but you were an example long before that in your hard work in your youth groups, actually in the way that over the years you worked hard to understand your Bible um, uh, and to make sure that you had that clear in your mind, in the sacrificial way that you used your, your, your teaching to serve uh, young people in Oxfordshire this county is going to miss you this church is going to miss you but the Lord has taken you to a new place and I know you will bring blessing to that place I want to say to people who say fill the gap learn from someone who, like these people who are congratulated by Paul, deserves special mention. Learn to live up to that standard. Because then Amy and perhaps some others like her will have an opportunity to go and serve amongst a people and bless them and we will have a chance to be here and reach out to all the peoples of the world this church is a local church which is a global church